0: you going? No, man,
1: you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say.
0: Morning, you're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakunovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and you search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. It might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, and it's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and today on YouTube. Then you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. That's roadtoconcord.com. That's where you'll find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at the road to concord.com. He's a little slow, but he'll eventually get around to emailing you back. If you find our classes helpful, please, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Just warn them that Joe is an acquired taste.
1: Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Now, just stay did and give it a chance. You soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's <laughs> see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. One of these days we're gonna have to start a <laughs> one dollar a month paid subscription for behind the scenes so people can sneak in five or ten minutes early before the show. That's where all the that's where the comedy hour is. <laughs> we were trying to get I almost
0: couldn't do the intro. I was laughing so hard.
1: We tried to get Natasha married off this morning. We, she, we We just told her she's, you know, it's the age of feminism. Just bonk some guy over the head and drag him off by the hair. And she's like, well, what if he doesn't want to be bonked? I said, that's the whole oh. point of bonking him.
2: <laughs> Hello, 911?
1: <laughs> I got some creepy
2: men trying to sell me off for marriage. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well it wasn't long ago that you know arranged marriages was a thing so you know maybe that's what we need to do
2: yeah but that was with, like the father not a couple of creepy men on some weird show called the road right to Concord.
0: hey we can coordinate with your father
2: that's not a problem <laughs> oh god all, right. all right all right
1: all right all right
2: he might have a little too much fun with that
1: We've got to tighten up, pretend to be doing something here today. <laughs> it's, it's it's worship Wednesday. <laughs> it's, hey, Hey, good Lord made humor. So <laughs> sorry. All right. We're going to, I heard from a lot of y'all. I even heard from one of y'all who told me they were angry with me because I, I cut off last week. And didn't keep going right into the bowls of wrath. Well, we're going to pick up with the bowls of wrath today. That's where we're going to go from there. And, uh, before we get going, this is if you haven't been here before, this is like 14th show in a series on uh, Ellis Schofield's understanding of prophecy, the prophetic language, especially about Daniel and uh the book of Revelation. Ellis Schofield, not Schofield, but Schofield. They're not related to each other of the Bible and everything, you know. Um, Ellis was called home, I think 2014, if I remember right. Um, but he did us, he's, he's written several books. Um, the primary book that I would recommend is hidden beast two. Um, he wrote a hidden beast one, and then he wrote another book called sozo. They're all about the same material hidden beast two, in my opinion, is the better of them. Um, and this slideshow we're about to do is something that he would use when he went to churches and it was just kind of like a. It's, a, it's the video cues to help him teach the material. And we are about to start right now into the bowls of wrath. This is where we're going to pick up where we left off last week. If you'll give me a second, I'll, <clears throat> there we go. That'll be better. So the bowls of wrath, this is where we start. We're back in our, um, in our chiasms within prophecy. It's an A, B, B subset, A, C, C, B, B subset, A, A chiasm. So it's a three-and-a-half-step kiosm. We're going to start with C, bulls of wrath, wrath to the wicked. This is juxtaposed against the song of Moses and the Lamb, which is the Jews and the Gentile redeemed. So this is parallelism within the kiosm. If you have not been keeping up with us, this isn't going to make sense to you. You've got to go back and catch up in the other classes. This is not one of these things where we can stop and explain all of this to you as we go along. It'd take too long. Excuse me. There's too much there that you've been missing if you're new to this one. So the song of Moses and of the lamb shows that salvation of all the redeemed, both Jew and Gentile. And literally you have the song of Moses in the Pentateuch. Okay. That's in the first five books of the Bible. That's even called the song of Moses. That's about the the covenant with Moses and the, and the Israel people at that time. The new song, the song of the lamb, that's just the, the new covenant, the renewed covenant. Now the bowls of wrath that tells us of god's judgment on those in islam i'm not entirely sure we should be focused just on islam here that could also be of all of those who rebel against yahweh against god but islam works in this particular case this is in context with the leopard bear lion okay that tells you where we're at these bowls are fulfilled in the middle east Leopard, bear, lion. Leopard be in Greece, bear being Medo-Persia, lion be in Babylon. Uh, Revelation 15, verse 1. Now he tells you he's reading out of the NAS at this point. He says, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. He says these plagues are the last, so they take place after the leopard, bear, lion is in Israel. Okay, That's fine enough with me. The seven bowls are of, are of the same nature as the seven trumpets, but they are an intensification thereof. In other words, spiritual conditions worsen as the Christian era nears its end. Let's go back to our chiasm real quick. When it t- talks about Jews in, the, in this era, in the, what he was thinking of as the Christian era, it's juxtaposed with the thousand-year reign, those are the same things. That's parallelism. And then in B, where it talks about the satanic kingdom, against B, the satanic kingdoms, the seven heads. The one up top, the leopard bear lion, that's the overall kingdom, or or Islam maybe in this case. The one on the bottom, the seven-headed beast, that definitely is the combined of all satanic kingdoms throughout time. The thing I'm wanting to point, point to here is you know, you got all the redeemed in B, A, and all the lost in, in B, A. This is parallel um, comparisons back and forth. The thing I want us to make sure we understand here is that time, you're in the book of Revelation. Time isn't going to work there quite the way you and I are used to. We were talking about that before class started. You're bouncing back and forth throughout time quite a bit here. Okay, so keep that in mind. If you're going to read the book of Revelation linearly, like a Greek Hellenistic A to Z, you are going to get the book of Revelations wrong period. It's not a linear time story. So try to keep that in mind as we go through this. So Schofield starts us now, figurative picture of the Christian era, or the what he will later tell you is, in his opinion, millennial reign. I agree with him. So it's also the tribulation. They're all three different words for the same epoch. It says Revelation 15 is starting in verse 2. He's back to reading from a King James Bible now. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast, Satan's leopard bear lion beast, whose throne is in the Middle East, probably at the Kaaba stone in Mecca. And his image, which is the second jihad, and the number of his name, 666, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses and the bondservant of God. That's Jews during the Christian era, still under the Levitical code and the Song of the Lamb, the New Testament Christians, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. A quick note here, folks, and we've got to make sure I pound this one into everybody's head. When we see nations in the Bible, be very, very careful with that. We can easily misunderstand that. In the Hebrew, it's goyim, Gentiles. If you're going to see the Gentiles as being nations, you're looking at that with a Genesis 11 divine council worldview. If you're looking at it in any other way, you should be translating this as just plain old Gentiles those who aren't of Yahweh's kingdom, um, those who don't believe. Or Gentiles can also be believers. So whenever you read this, you should think both nations and Gentiles, believing or disbelieving Gentiles. Context is going to be everything here. But this is a case of where one word can mean many things correctly at the same time. And when we're in the book of Revelations, we need to be careful with this because if we think there are going to be nation states after the kingdom, the final kingdom has come when the, the return of the son, no, that's not the proper way to read the scriptures. The Gentiles will come to worship, meaning that all, all has been reversed. The reversing Hermon, all of the falls have been reversed and you're back in the kingdom where there is no... Jew or Gentile or Christian or Gentile anymore. They're all either Yahweh's kingdom or in Hades, the lake of fire. That's a scriptural way to look at this. So keep that in mind as we go through this, please, because it's very important to understand when you see nations, the Hebrew thought behind that is Goyim, which can be Gentiles, believers, or non believers, or it can be nations. And sometimes it means both. He continues with Revelation chapter 16, verses 1 through 21, reading out of a King James. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was open, and the seven angels, messengers, who had the seven last plagues, came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded about their chest, high gird of authority, with golden sashes. Stop real quick as a parenthetical that he didn't add. Normally the golden sash is a sign of king kinghood. Now, it could be that they're under his authority, Yahweh's authority. Could also be that these are the seven angels of Yahweh. Y'all do remember that there are mentioned seven angels of Yahweh earlier in the book of Revelation. These could be the seven, these could still be the same seven angels of Yahweh, in which case, I don't know what you want to make of that mess, uh, because that would still be Yahweh somehow, or they're just divine servants under his authority don't know it doesn't make a big difference here the big point i'm trying to point out is that golden sash in the time john is writing that's a big deal that's not something you know today we just read past it and it doesn't mean nothing to us that means that you're either dealing with the king or or a servant of the king who's been given the authority of the king so that's a big deal right there so it says with the golden sashes Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple, the new Jerusalem, because it remains uninhabited until the return of Jesus, until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. The seven bowls, Revelation 16, 1 through 21. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of wrath of God. Bowl number one. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant spiritual sore on the people who had the mark of the leopard bear lion beast and who worshiped his image, the second jihad. This is his interpretation, folks. I'm adding the parentheticals as I read. If you're not watching this chalkboard this might be a little difficult to follow. So if you're on the podcast or whatever, please understand I'm reading from a slide presentation and I'm reading his parenthetical inserts. This is another place where I want to stop and make a quick comment for y'all. So we're going to stop after bowl one. This is where I wish, and I I, I really, if, if you're a believer and you're going to deal in prophecy, I am going to beg you to consider and pray on something very hard. I'm going to beg hard, and I'm going to ask you to consider it very, very seriously. When you're dealing with prophecy, it's okay if you're going to be looking for a physical manifestation of the prophecy. I've got that. But look first to the physical message, or the spiritual message, rather. Don't look to the physical. Look to the spiritual message first. And the reason for that is simple. The spiritual message will be singular. There's one spiritual point being made. The physical manifestation may be many. It's like a friend of mine says, they are earth shadows on earth as it is in heaven. Well, the book of Revelation was written to every generation since the ascension. So you might have an earth shadow in each and every generation. If you're going to read prophecy looking for the one single manifestation, physical manifestation, what you're doing is setting yourself up to have a crisis of faith and be in conflict with other believers. Don't do that and by that i mean excuse (laughs) me a second if you if you've got it in your head it has to be you know this is the antichrist and then you find out there are two or three or four others that fit just as well you might well i i didn't understand prophecy therefore prophecy is garbage it's impossible blah 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 and you're in a crisis of faith all of a sudden and it was needless because john told you there are many antichrists so there'd be one mark of the beast well Manifestations of that mark have come throughout history. At the time John was writing, if you traveled the road that connected the seven churches, you had to buy a little silver idol. It is part of a tax. It was a pagan idol, and when you did that, you either got an indigo mark on your thumb or on your forehead, just like the purple thumbs that they were getting in Israel when they—I mean, uh, um, Iraq rather—when they were voting during the Iraq War early on. You remember seeing that on our news to prove that they had voted. Well, you got one of these indelible marks on your hand or your head to prove that you bought your idol well the same thing is with the band and the marks of the uh, dimi under islam there have been many physical manifestations of the spiritual warning or message and when we argue that it has to be your understanding over everybody else's all you do is split the body you also confuse yourself in trying to understand the scripture be comfortable with many physical manifestations many shadows of the spiritual truth and that that harmonizes scripture
0: and that's why you see over and over again people saying oh the end of the world is coming it's going to be you know blah 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 or whatever and this has been going on since john wrote this Mm -hmm. Uh, you know but there are signs there's shadows that that show these things that kind of give you indications that oh maybe it is but again that's why it's more important just be watch for the spiritual things and then as you see things manifest you say "Hmm, okay maybe that's part of it
1: so be happy with and it it doesn't hurt and then that'll help with the unity of the body and it'll help you grow your faith rather than set yourself up for failure all right sorry about my little sidebar there but i think that one's very important as a teacher so we've done bowl number one bowl number two The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea of people, that's Revelation 17, 15, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing, every soul in the sea died. There are no saved people in Islam. That's true. There are also no saved people in the masses of the Goyim, you know, just general unbelieving masses. So that's a case of where the prophetic language could apply to both. Bowl number three. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers of the springs of water, the word of God, the springs of you know, living water, and they became blood. The gospel corrupted with the false doctrines of Islam, not just Islam, any false doctrine of the Bible. And I heard the angel, the messenger of waters, the gospel, saying, righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judged these things, for they poured out the blood of the saints, Christians in his view. And prophets, Jews, and you have given them blood, a false doctrine, to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar, a figure for the crucifixion. So this is Jesus at the cross saying, yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Bowl number four. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun. This is Jesus, Malachi 4.2. And it was given to it to scorch men with fire, the word of his mouth. Is not my word like a fire? He's quoting scripture here for us to give us the idea. Scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. And they did not repent so as to give him glory. Bowl number five. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast in the Middle East, perhaps at the Kaaba Stone. And his kingdom became spiritually darkened. And they gnawed their tongues because of their spiritual pain. And they blasphemed the God of the heavens because of their pain, pains and their sores. And they did not repent of their deeds. Bull number six, the seventh, the sixth angel rather poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates between Iraq, Iran, and Syria. So this is the Middle East and its waters were dried up spiritually. The whole Middle East is in Islam so that the way would be prepared for the Kings from the East. The major Islamic countries are East of Israel. So this is still about them. <clears throat> Also, there's one of your cases of physical, as in spiritual. The Euphrates has been drying up, folks. So there will be physical manifestations of these things. But it's spiritual first, physical later. It's like when Egypt is go- I mean, when Israel, rather, is going to be destroyed, Jeremiah comes in with that clay pot and throws it at the ground, at the king's feet, smashes it. It's a physical manifestation of the spiritual message. This is just the way the Hebrews think. They like to have physical demonstrations of spiritual or abstract ideas and thoughts. He continues, he says, and I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, Satan, the great, the great dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, Islam, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, Muhammad. Now that fits, folks. Three unclean spirits like frogs, the leopard bear lion, aka Islam, for they are spirits of demons. Poll number six continued, demons performing signs which go out, into, um, out to the kings of the world. Islam is no longer a Middle Eastern religion. It is spreading into the rest of the world. This is true. This is the second jihad. To gather them together for the spiritual war of the great day of God, the Almighty. The last trumpet, the great white throne, could both happen at any time. He's doing this at 2012, and at that time, he's, he's close to being true here. But there were still some prophecies left that need to be fulfilled, still are today, that Schofield apparently was not aware of. His focus kept him away from the prophecies on Ephraim. But there are not a lot left. There is not much left to be done. And some of it could be fulfilled at the exact same time it all comes together. There's a parenthetical here in the book of Revelation. He says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. He says, and they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har Megidon, understood to be a place of war and judgment. Now, a lot of people will talk about the valley of Armageddon. This right here says Har Megidon. That means mountain. So this is a figurative um, image here, folks. You can't have a war on a mountain. It doesn't work. Not with all the nations. Bowl number seven. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. This is the last trumpet now sounds. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake such as there had never been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it. And so mighty, the great city was split into three parts. Now that earthquake could probably be physical. could also be spiritual. Great city split into three parts Christians, Jews, and Muslims. That works when you understand the great city. That works. And the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the Great, the lost of all time, all combined lost. That's Babylon the Great, not Mystery Babylon. Two different types of Babylon. Babylon is spiritual slavery. Mystery Babylon is an apostate church. Babylon the Great. That's all of those who have refused to worship God, Yahweh, the true God. So Babylon the Great, the lost of all time, was remembered before God to give her the cup of wine of his fierce wrath. And every island, or isolated people, fled away. And the mountains, the so-called great churches and or kingdoms, nations, were not found, and huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each. Now he sees this as the warheads of the Katusha Rockets that come down on Israel and all, which are about a hundred pounds that works, but could also be hailstones. They come down from heaven upon men and men blaspheme God because of the plague of hail, because it's plague was extremely severe folks. This is, this is one of the areas where I, I, I caution people, be careful with how you see physical and spiritual manifestations. Spiritually we're in that period right now, but physically you could say we are too but we've been in a physical period where I can make the events of the world that are going on around me fit that description. I've been there many times before and we could probably be in that many times in the future. Look to the spiritual first, then the physical and try not to make doctrine out of it. Um, you're not supposed to understand prophecy until after it's fulfilled. So why does Yahweh give it to us beforehand so that we'll know the seasons so that you'll understand the season you're in the epoch you're in so you'll get a feel for the spiritual conditions that are around you and of the time and it's meant to keep you awake alert and working for the kingdom not to go to sleep not to let the lamp go out on your on your lamp let the light go out don't do that keep keep watchful so that you're not found sleeping when your master returns all right from here he goes into babylon In her was found the blood of the prophets and saints. Mystery Babylon. Revelation 17 is a figurative picture of the apostate church. Revelation 20 is a figurative picture of the redeemed during the Christian era, both Jews and Gentiles. This Revelation 18 Babylon is a figurative picture of all the lost, of the world's ungodly systems and those who glory in them. So he's seeing this as two different Babylons. I think it works. If you look at scripture with a divine counsel worldview, like Dr. Heiser teaches, we've mentioned that before. Well, then even the Gentile world, the, the pagan world is still a, a very corrupt form of Torah of God's laws. It's just so corrupt now as to not even be recognizable. So that would still work as mystery Babylon in that way as well. This is all about whether or not you're learning to track concept rather than verse and word. Um, you know, this is how, how evolved are you in your study of Yahweh's word? Once you learn to start looking at concepts rather than just verses and just word studies, when you start tracing concepts across the whole of scripture, and I mean Genesis to the last letter of book of Revelation, then you'll come to understand that all of this can be mystery Babylon at the same time that I have two different types of Babylon. All I need to know is that Babylon deals with your spiritual condition. And if you're an atheist, you are trapped spiritually. You're in in spiritual jail because you can't come to or see or recognize the true Elohim, the true creator of this this universe. Schofield starts now with Revelation 18, verses 1 through 3. And he says, And after these things I saw... So, this is a later vision, totally different from Babylon than the previous chapter. Another angel came down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lighted with his glory. Well, if you're lightened with his glory, there's no ordinary angel. This is Jesus. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitations of devils, in the hold of every foul spirit, and cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies, the materialistic system of the world. Fornication here, that's apostasy. That's spiritual unfaithfulness. Instead of worshiping the creator, you worshiped the creation. See, when you understand the concepts in the prophetic language, this is not that difficult a passage anymore. He continues Revelation 18, verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins and that ye receive not of her plagues. And he takes us to, he says, like the parallel verse appearing below, both are about believers, Jew and Gentiles, during the Christian era. You're either stuck in mystery Babylon, which is the apostate church, or you're stuck in Babylon the Great, which is the world. He likens this to 2 Corinthians 6.16. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, said the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Come out of the apostate church. Come out of the unbelieving Gentile world. Come out of mystery Babylon. Come out of Babylon the Great. In this case, he's focusing on Babylon the Great, because we're dealing with Revelation 18. Be separate. Come out from amongst them. Be set apart. That's what holy means. Set apart. Be different. The world should know that you belong to El Elyon, Yahweh, by the way you live. If it doesn't, then you're still in Babylon. This is collapse of the world's materialistic system, Revelation 18 starting in verse 5. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works. And the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. How much she hath glorified herself, and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore, she shall her plagues come in one day, he thinks one prophetic year, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judgeth her. Now, that could be the fire of the word of Yahweh. That could also be the fire that destroys the earth in this second destruction. You could be looking at a nuclear war here. And there's passages in Zechariah that make that very, very likely. And the king of earth who have committed, and the kings of earth who have committed uh, fornications and lived deliciously with her, in other words, spiritual unfaithfulness, she bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour, 15.44 days in the prophetic time, is thy judgment come. The merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore, the merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and the pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet, all thine uh, wood and all manner of vessels of ivory and all manners of vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and in cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men and the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee and all the things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee and thou shalt find them no more at all let's go back here talks about Babylon the great that mighty city fell in one hour I can understand why people would see what happened on 9-11 and say see Babylon fell in one hour but it didn't 9/11 happened over a period of hours, and all these other things. Total commerce. I can see where people would look at that and say, "Look, people mourned over the loss of the of the World Trade Centers, but it didn't stop business. It didn't stop trade. So that is a shadow. It is a type. It is a foreshadowing, a foretelling. It is a warning. It is a harbinger. In yeah, pun intended." if you understand what I'm talking about. Don't allow it to divide the body. Look for the next bigger sign that matches the pattern. Watch for the patterns. You'll see them repeat over and over and over again throughout history. If you watch for the patterns, you'll better understand and you won't be dividing again with each other and you won't set yourself up for as much in the way of spiritual you know shipwreckness, spiritual calamity, spiritual crisis, revelation eighteen verses fifteen through twenty The merchants of these things, which were made rich by her, shall stand off afar or stand far off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, "Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls." For, in one hour, so great riches is come naught to naught, to not. and every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors, and as many as trade by sea, stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, "What city is this as is like unto the great city?" And they cast dust on their heads and cried and wept and wailing, saying, "Alas, alas, that great city wherein we were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness." For in one hour is she made desolate. Rejoice over her, though heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall the great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all.
0: Yeah, one of the shadows would be something like Venezuela, how quickly yes. they fell and in, into you know all this stuff. Like this, and people, you know, I was just looking at, you know, the news. Our our national debt is, you know, still climbing at astronomical amounts, and there's going to come a day.
1: There's a reckoning.
0: That that's going to happen in our country.
1: The God of the gods it, of the copybook heading, with, and
0: it's going to come pretty quick. I yeah. mean, they they talk about one hour here, and I, and I don't know that that's a a a you know. Physical one hour, but in a short time. Yes. You know, that this is all gonna just crumble around us and it's gonna happen.
1: Mm -hmm. And notice here it says, and the mighty angel took up a stone like a millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence. This is just like Jeremiah, taking the pot, dashing it on the ground. It's a physical action to emphasize the spiritual point. This will help you because this happens over and over in your scriptures. And any time you do an action like that, it can still apply to the same spiritual point. You can have many actions like that, like what Charlie was just saying. So Schofield continues. He says, believers are take taken out of this present world. Revelation 18, 21 through 24. And the voice of harps and musicians and pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman in whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sounds of millstones shall be heard no more at all in thee. in the light of a candle, Luke Honos, literally a lamp, light of the lamp. Pay attention because he's on to something here. Psalm 119, 105 and 106. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I am the light of the world. Those who teach the Torah says I have sworn and I will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments. Keep Torah. So he's reading in Revelation, the light's going to go out, the lamp shall shine no more at all in thee. So God's word will no longer be seen in Babylon. This is a time where there is no preaching of the scriptures. And the voice of the bridegroom, Jesus, and of the bride, believers, both Jew and Gentile, shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by their sorceries, the Greek pharmakia, literally pharmacy or medications, by implication magic or science, were all nations deceived, and in her was found the blood of the prophets, physical Israel, and of saints, the Gentile church, and of all who were slain upon the earth. The blood of all of God's people, Old Testament and new, is found in this particular Babylon. So that's not mystery Babylon. That's not the apostate church. So this is a figurative city composed of multitudes of people who throughout the time have hated God and willfully turned away from the Savior of the world. His thinking is valid here, folks. He's tracing the spiritual concepts. His thinking is very valid. This is why he won me over. He says, this Babylon is the world's satanic system and those within it who love wickedness, beginning with Cain who slew his brother Abel and on down through time until the last suffering saint standing steadfast for jesus gives his life for his beloved lord now remember jesus says that i will return as in a time of the days of noah how many righteous men left at that time one righteous being you follow torah so there's one person still trying to keep yahweh's uh, judgments at the times of noah jesus also says when he returns will i even find faith on earth so he's telling us he's going to return to a time when there's very little faith. Very few people still believe. And there are a lot of people who are going to claim to believe. Remember, knowledge of the Lord. There are that arose a, a nation who knew not the Lord. That does not mean you're not aware of him. It means you don't obey him. There's a time when, this is going to be a time when everybody in the world might be calling themselves Christians, and none of them are obeying him. And you know what he tells those? You're gone from me. I never knew you because you didn't obey me. I never knew you. You didn't obey me. You who practice lawlessness, unrighteousness, inequity. You don't follow my ways. So the whole world could be Christian and still fit this spiritual message. That's the point the church seems to want to miss because you're reading it as a Greek. You're looking for the, oh, it's the prophecy going to tell me what's going to happen in the physical world yes and no it's going to tell you what pattern to look for in the physical world but it's trying to warn you about the spiritual cuz you know his kingdom is not of this world and if it were all of his angels would be fighting for him and we wouldn't be necessary so your your home is in the spirit world that's where the new jerusalem is right now look to the spiritual message first then worry about the physical manifestation And don't don't break fellowship with each other over this. Harmonize on that spiritual message, and then we we can help each other look for the physical manifestations, but we don't have to break fellowship over it. Because and probably comes into play. This and that. And maybe even those four things over there as well. And notice what he's talking about. He's right in his thinking. This is a case of all the world. This Babylon is all of the Gentiles, nations, whatever you want to call it, those who never believed, refused to believe. And he's not talking about, see, there's proof that you're going to get raptured out. Mm -mm, Be careful with that. Be careful with that because this is after the seventh bowl has been poured out and there is time no more. This is after the trumpet sounds. What you're actually looking at is a, a physical manifestation of judgment day of the great white throne judgment so and charlie and i were talking about that before before the show started i'm not going to share what we were talking about right now because that's not meant for the body that's meant for the teachers but there is another way to look at all of this that it harmonizes scriptures so just be careful with this stuff don't be too quick to latch on to an understanding and saying this is what it's got to be it's okay to have a fuzzy understanding. It's okay. It's okay to have just a rough idea or feeling. Focus first and foremost on the spiritual, and you'll be safer. We're going to take a six minute break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the indefinite plural of thousands, chilios. We're going to start talking about the kingdom. And that's where we'll end. When we get done with this, we're talking about the millennial reign. And when we get done with that, we'll call it quits for the day. And then next Wednesday, we are going to wrap this study up. So we'll see you in six minutes. Now for this next part, it is time to put your spiritual five-point harnesses on and buckle them up and cinch up tight. Make sure you don't have any slack in your harness. Take your sucker out of your mouth and screw it onto your ring pop. Make sure it's securely secured to your finger so you don't toss it in the dirt. What we're about to deal with next goes into the millennial reign. He is going to look at this, taking the whole of Scripture into view, looking at the language behind this and he's going to do concept studies with this. He's also looking at the chiasms and he's looking at the parallelism and he is going to come up with an interpretation very different from what most of the church has today. I agree with him. It is the only way that I can harmonize scripture. That's my goal. Harmonizing the whole of scripture. Well, here we go. This is going to get fun. <laughs> the indefinite plural of thousands. Where we're at now. Chiles. It's a 1,000 or yo chile, or whatever, plural form of chiles. Okay. It's all the Greek, just, and I'm probably mispronouncing it horribly. Anyhow, the so-called, quote-unquote, thousand years. Revelation 20 is one of the A's in the second kiosm of the book of Revelation. Both A's are fulfilled in during the Christian era. What? This is the key to understanding this. The kiosm is the key. Chapter 12 and chapter 20 are parallel to each other. They tell you when they happen. So if the woman with 12 stars Israel happens during the Christian era, and we've already established that, then the thousand years, which is also Israel, happens at the same time. That's the chiasm is the key. The chiasm is the the, the the skeleton key for unlocking the understanding of book of Revelations. And it's all a form of Hebrew parallelism. So once we recognize that Revelations 20's position in the second chiasm as parallel in time and subject to Revelation 12, We can then realize that Revelation 20 must be a figurative picture of the Christian era. Revelation 20 will be quoted in its entirety. Supporting verses and comments are inserted in red. All right, if you're just listening and you are not watching the chalkboard, from this point forward, this is going to get a little confusing. I'll do my best to keep this as straight as I can for you today. The context of Revelation 20 is figurative. The finished work of Christ, Revelation 20, verses 1 and 2. And I saw an angel come down from heaven. Schofield says, this angel is Jesus, who hath ascended into heaven and descended. In Revelation 10, 1, and he says, and I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. So he's making the point, Revelation twenty one and 2, it's about Jesus. And he's having the keys of the bottomless pit. Jesus has been given the keys of Hades, Revelation 1.18. And a great chain in his hand. This chain is God's word in the church combined with prayers of the saints. Matthew 16.19 says, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So he's trying to put all this together with other passages of scripture. And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil. It says, now the rulers of this word world shall be cast out. John 12, 31 spoken before the cross and Satan it's the devil in Satan and bound him. How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his property unless he, he first binds the strong man. That's Matthew 12, 29. When we were lost in our trespasses and sins, we were Satan's property, and in his kingdom, Jesus is now plundering Satan's house through the church. I, One of the biggest blessings Schofield ever did for me was teach me how to weave the Old and New Testament into my understanding of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the capstone to all of this. It's, the, it's basically, it, it is the other bookend. Genesis is one bookend. Tells you what's going to happen. Revelation tells you again. You know, picks up from the, from the point of the cross and moves it forward. Th- these two books are the key to everything. And if you don't weave everything in the middle of them into it, well, then you're just making up your own scriptures. So Schofield taught me how to do this. <coughs> Sorry about that, folks. Okay, the Christian era. Yes, Charlie? did you Oh I thought maybe you had
0: something. No, I was gonna I, w- I try to catch the the mute button when you uh cough. I'm I sorry.
1: I, I know <laughs> I, I apologize, guys. I'm I, I'm doing my best. I know it's annoying out there, and I all I can do is apologize. So he took and Satan and bound him a thousand years. This is where it gets interesting. The Greek word translated thousand here and through the rest of Revelation 20 is chlioyo. An indefinite plural of chileias, 1,000. Chileo can mean 1,000, but it also can mean many thousands. Premillennial theologians make a definitive doctrine out of a definitively indefinite indefinite plural. You can't do that, folks. This, this right here, this is the same problem we have with Yom in the book of uh, Genesis. Hold on in just a second. Charlie, hit that button. All right, Charlie. <sighs> Trying to get my throat clear. That's a little better. Sorry, BB. My wife blasts me for my not taking care of my voice. I apologize. Anyhow, in the in, in Genesis YAM, and Charlie can help if he decides to, but YAM usually translates 24-hour day. It doesn't have to mean that in the Hebrew. It can mean any work period, which can get us Sideways, when we decide what we know what it means without looking at context. So, what Schofield's about to tell us is that many of us have made a doctrine of prophecy based on a word that does not necessarily mean 1,000, it can mean many thousands. And if we get that wrong, we're in trouble. Context is meant to guide us, but we don't let it, especially since most of us are reading the book of Revelations with a Greek mindset rather than a Hebrew. Schofield returns to Revelation 20, verse 3. It says, and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. Bottomless pit is he- Sheol. This binding is scripturally limited to deceiving the nations. Through the whole Christian era, the Western nations have been nominally Christian. Kings have been crowned and deposed in Jesus' name, and wars have been fought in Jesus' name. Thus, the nations were not deceived that Jesus is Lord. It can also mean Goyim. So if you're, if you're not deceiving the Gentiles, their nations will come back to the father. This is the folks. This is, this is divine council worldview stuff here. This is the unseen realm and reversing Hermon by Michael Heiser. And, and and trust me, he just puts scripture into a different frame of mind. That's what we're dealing with right here. This, This is soundly solidly in that thinking. He continues with the Bible. He says, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. See Revelation 12, 12 for another mention of this little season. From context, we can pin the beginning of this little season to somewhere between 1948 and 67. Since 48 and 67, the Western nations have turned away from the Lord. Satan has now been loosed and the church has allowed it. As a result, the church is in a state of apostasy unequaled during the Christian era. That is true that is absolutely 100 percent true now i don't know if that's when he was loot satan was loosed from the pit or not but i do know that this is the point where the western christian world starts to turn to apostate revelation 24 and i saw thrones and they set upon them and judgment was given unto them first peter 2 verses 5 and 9 and revelation 1 6 and 5 10 all declare that we reign with Christ right now, today in his whole, in his spiritual kingdom, Ephesians 1 19 through 20, uh, 19 through 23. So what we're being told is we're already in the millennial reign right there. This is one of his graphs. It says revelation 22 through six, the kingdom of Jesus thousand year reign 48 through 67, Satan is loosed. Revelation 27 through nine, the nations again are deceived, gathered to battle we're heading toward the great white throne judgment book of revelations 20 verse 10 through 15 that Jesus's kingdom began in the first century is pro is provable by revelation one six. And don't forget also in one nine in there, John says he's already in the millennial with you. And it's also in uh, revelation five, 10 he hath made past tense us Kings in revelation one nine. I John who also am your brother and companion in the kingdom and patience of jesus christ the definitive article appears in the greek text in revelation 1 9 and 5 10 meaning that schofield has the proper interpretation here and we've missed it revelation 24 verse 4 and it's continued and he said i saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of jesus those who stand for the witness of the messiah Thousands of saints were beheaded early in the Christian era, and many believers are suffering the same fate today. See Fox's Book of Martyrs. They have not only been killed by Islam, but they've been killed, beheaded, and killed in other ways by the apostate church. This is Jesus saying that in, you know, coming soon, time is coming soon when people will kill you thinking they're doing the work of God. And it says, for the word of God, the revelation again, and for the word of God, which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their forehead or in their hands. Satan is the beast, and he has struck his mark on the forehead of his servants throughout time. Book of Revelation, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Schofield says, do we not reign with Christ right now? First Peter chapter 2, verses 5 through 9, Revelation 1, six, five, 10. He's also uh, First John 1, uh, 9, telling you you're in the kingdom now. Revelation 20 verse five, but the rest of the dead, the unsaved lived not again until the thousand years, the Christian era were finished. This is the first resurrection folks, the first resurrection. I'm not going to tell you, this is the definitive way to look at this, but you are told by Paul that when you come to, when you bend your knee and you surrender to Yahweh and to his Messiah, you are born again, the old man's dead. You're born again into the new life. That right there is a first resurrection. It's one way of looking at it, but he Schofield says, how many resurrections are there? And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. And there's no other resurrection in scripture. So the first resurrection is also Yeshua, is sacrifice. Revelation 26, that that would be a, a figurative way of looking at it. So Revelation 26, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On the second, the death hath no power. Hmm, such the second death hath no power. So if you are part of the first resurrection, if you're under the blood of the Messiah, the second death has no power over you. So Schofield says, blessed indeed are those who have part in the resurrection of Jesus our Lord. They are the born again, and over them the second death has absolutely no power. Book of Revelation says, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Revelation 1, 6, and 5, 10 both state that we have been made priests and reign with Jesus right now. Revelation 27, and when the thousand years... As an indefinite plural, this thousand can refer to the Christian era regardless of how many millennial it may take. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Uh-oh. If he's been loosed like Schofield thinks, Christian era is over. We'd be in an area era as unto the time of Noah. Spiritually, are we not there? Just asking. The end of times, Revelation 28, and shall go out to deceive the nations. He's been freed and he goes out to deceive the nations. Since 1948 and 67, there is a general falling away of the church unprecedented in the Christian era. We have the second rise of the Islamic states parallel the following verse with other other descriptions of Armageddon in Revelation 6, 9, 12, 14, and 19. It says, back to the book of Revelations, Go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four quarters of the uh, four quarters of the earth, four corners, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. This is a hint that the battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 37 may be spiritual. If it's a spiritual battle, it could have many physical manifestations. Just keep that in mind. Schofield says, How many Armageddons and fulfillments of Ezekiel 38, 39 are we going to have? Note the details of the battle are parallel other descriptions of Armageddon in the Bible. When we understand the repetitive chiasm structure of Revelation, these repeats are understandable. It says, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. You know, go out to do battle with with lots of people. Revelation 9.16 states twice myriads of myriads. Probably the Muslims who have been fighting the gospel and murdering God's people for over 1,300 years. Good possibility. Revelation 29. And they went up on the breadth of the earth encompassed the camp of the saints about in beloved city. Is this not parallel to Joel two, three chapters two and three that all considered to be a description of a final battle, probably a spiritual battle and figurative and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. (laughs) Notice what he says about Joel two and three spiritual battle, probably figurative. Could also be the same thing for Ezekiel. I differ with Schofield a little bit here. There's also something else that we need to consider. I do not doubt that the believers will be gathered back in the Holy Land again. There are prophecies that seem to clearly indicate that physically, not just spiritually. But where is the beloved city now? The city used to be the nation, the physical nation of Israel and Jerusalem, but the city now is the shining city on the hill. That is the kingdom of Yahweh. The kingdom of Yahweh is wherever two or more are gathered in his name. So when it says that these people are going to encompass the earth in the camp of the saints and above the beloved city, this battle could be global. Could be global. Note what I say. Be happy to not be so certain. It could be just centered around the physical city of Jerusalem it could also be a global battle it could be both
0: yeah could be and
1: yes he continues the eternal kingdom of god revelation 20:10 and the devil that deceiveth them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever oh we're dealing now in the after the throne of judgment notice how time has just morphed and merged and just kind of smeared itself throughout this story Revelation 20, 11 through 12, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. There are two sets of books in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 12, the book of deeds and the book of life. When the Lord blotted out our transgressions that was just rhetorical, what do you suppose he blotted them out of? The book of deeds, of course. Since all of our righteousness is as filthy rags, if even one of our deeds, no matter how good or sanctified we may think it to be, remains in that book, we are going to the lake of fire. To eat of the tree of life, our names must first be written in the book of life, blotting out the handwriting of our ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, Colossians 2.14. And back to Revelation. And the spiritually dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So if you are not under the blood of the Lamb, it doesn't matter how good your works were. You're in trouble. Revelation 20, verses 13 through 15. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered upon the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to his works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So if you're, if you're in the book of deed, you're in the lake of fire. Let me stop right here and show you something. <clears throat> the way we just saw the order, the devil, false prophet, Islam, the beast, whatever all thrown into hell first, then the great white throne judgment, Then the resurrection. That's out of order. That's out of order how it's supposed to be in our heads. Do you know why? Because this is after the seventh trumpet. This is after Yeshua returns. Time doesn't work here the way it does to you and I. Charlie and I were talking about this earlier. This is why the order doesn't matter anymore. This is why you should not cling so tightly to trying to put things in a chronological order. That is Greek thinking, that is not Hebrew thinking. If you look to the spiritual message first, then try to understand the physical. You may never get the physical understood clearly, but you'll understand the point that is most important, the spiritual message. Our home, our kingdom is not of this material world. If you're going to cling to the material world for your thinking and your understanding, you're clinging to that which is perishing and which will be done away with and remade. Don't do that. Cling to the eternal. And in the process, don't become a Gnostic. John Quest, comment on the board Matthew 7, through 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? And yeah, in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Ye that work in equity, ringing in my ears with that. Yes, it is, doesn't it? You have to obey. You have to follow the king. That's not what's going to save you. That's what's going to get you into and keep you in the kingdom. Let's continue. Colossians 1, 13 through 17 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son? in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He has got additional notes on the millennium here. This is Schofield now. Beside the last trumpet, there are many verses that call the premillennial view into question. This is what I mean by taking Scripture whole. According to that view, when Jesus returns for his 1,000-year reign, he will rule from Jerusalem in in, in his um, power and glory. And during the 1,000 years, we, all believers, are presumed to be ruling with him in our new glorified and sinless bodies. At the end of the thousand years, Satan is somehow supposed to deceive those rulers, now sinless us, for a short season. If that happens, then we would again be in sin, which would result in our again being separated from the Lord. A supposition that is contrary to First Thessalonians 4:17, which states, first Thessalonians 4:17 states, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall ever be with the Lord. What uh, Ellis is saying here is in order for the millennial view to work, you know, Jesus comes back, then we have the millennial, and then Satan gets loosed again. In order for that to work, you have to somehow have a a second fall, which is going to require a second crucifixion and a second coming back. in, In other words, the pattern has to be repeated a second time. What Schofield is saying is that breaks with sound doctrine. Then he goes on here, saints will never be separated from the Lord, Matthew 28, 20. Second, how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man, Matthew 12, 29. When Jesus asked that question, he was in the act of casting out demons. The Lord was plundering Satan's house then, and he is still doing so today through the church. He also told us the kingdom of Yahweh had come upon you, kingdom of heaven had come upon you when he was there presently, on his, when, when he first came here. Colossians 1.13. For he delivered us from the dominion, the kingdom, King James Version, of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So if the blood of the Messiah tr- covers you. You're now in his kingdom. You've been taken out of the old. You're already in the kingdom. Jesus permitted himself to be ba- uh, bound once at the cross, but it will never happen again. When Jesus returns to Jerusalem, he will be ruling in all his power and glory. It will be Jesus' kingdom. He will be the strong man. Released or not, Satan could only plunder Jesus' kingdom if he could again bind Jesus. What a blasphemous concept. Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. He is King of kings and Lord of lords and will remain forever. Ephesians 1, 20-21. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That age to come would have to include any future time that Jesus is on earth and beyond. When the Lord returns at the end of this age, he will rule absolutely, and he will rule forever, which puts a stake through the idea that the millennial won't happen until Jesus returns. You're already in it, folks. He says, a literal interpretation goes awry. This is Isaiah 11, verses 1 through uh, through 5. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Figurative and all conservative theologians understood this to be a prophecy about the earthly ministry of Jesus, the coming Messiah, not Joseph Smith. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, fear of Yahweh, the seven spirits of God, Revelation 1, 4, 3, 1, 4, 15, 5, 6, and shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, Yahweh, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. That's a Hebrew uh, poetic parallelism. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with a rod of his mouth, figurative for the word of Yahweh, for word of God. And with the breath of his lips, also figurative, shall he slay the wicked, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, also figurative, and faithfulness the girdle of his reign. Again, a Hebrew poetic parallelism. So Isaiah 11, 1 through 5, predicts the coming of Jesus the Messiah. The passage is figurative, And everyone knows it or should know it. Then Isaiah 11.11 tells us about the establishment of the new nation of Israel in 1948. Isaiah 11.11, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. The first restoration came at the end of Babylonian captivity, 536 BC, as recorded in the book of Ezra. Which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and Cush and from Elam and Shinar, and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. Verses one through five are figurative prophecy of Jesus in 30 A.D. Verses six through ten come next, followed by verse eleven, which is about 1948 A.D. So when should verse six through ten be about? Here's where I want to give a word of caution, and this is one of the few places where I differ strongly with brother Schofield, Ellis, he sees the Jews as all that's left of Yahweh's people. He sees the Christian church as the grafted in. He missed Ephraim. Ephraim has to come back to the Holy land too. That's in prophecy. It even says Ephraim will return trembling from the West. Ephraim is not the house of Judah. So this passage here that Isaiah is talking about may not yet be completely fulfilled. So let's say that Satan is loosed from the pit from 48 to 67. Our Greek mind says it has to be one or the other. The Hebrew mind says yes. Huh? The Hebrew mind says it could have taken that entire period of time, that 20 years, to release him. It might have happened over that 20. Not a snap instant. It could have just been a period of time an epoch. Well, the return to physical Israel could be the same way. It could take from 67 until whenever to get all of Yahweh's people recovered back into the holy lands. Schofield doesn't see that, and that's okay. It doesn't mean he's wrong. It means that the Holy Spirit didn't show that to him. He was focused on what he was supposed to deliver to the church. Other people were left to put the rest of the pieces of the puzzle together. That's all. That's all that means. So he says, so when should verses 6 through 10 be about? Well, here's another one of his little maps. Context determines interpretation. Isaiah 11, 11, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left. Well, the scripture doesn't say that the first time was a recover out of Babylon. The first time he recovered his people was out of Egypt. What we're talking about here is the second Exodus mentioned in Jeremiah, but that's okay. It's fine. The way Brother Schofield sees it, Israel takes the Holy Land, 1406 B uh 1406 BC, the Divinic Kingdom, the first diaspora, 606 BC to 536 BC. So the first restoration is right there. And then there's the post-exile time. And then the second diaspora, 70 AD until 1948 he says that's the second recovery it's possible that's possible to look at it that way if you're only talking about the house of judah but we're not we're talking about the house of israel and the house of judah have to be recombined that is yet to fully happen if it did if they were recombined at the cross when Jesus came back and, and Judah and Gentile and in the lost sheep of Israel, all start coming back together again. Well, it's not fully complete. And even if it were, then you're still not talking about the second, uh, the second recovery of the, of the Jewish church. You're talking about the second recovery of the house of Israel, which is square in the world of Jeremiah again. So brother Schofield just, he's got the pattern. See what I'm saying? He understands the pattern. He sees the pattern. What he's got here on his graph fits the pattern perfectly if you're a Jew. If you're House of Judah, this fits perfectly. Brother Schofield forgot to include the House of Israel. That's all. He's found the pattern. He forgot the and. That's all. And you see, this way, Schofield and I, we'd be able to maintain fellowship and still break bread together. But if he says it has to be his way and I say it has to be my way, we would we would divide. It's okay to not have all the pieces. It's okay to have that fuzzy I think I understand it, but not quite. Focus on the spiritual first, the recovery of all of Yahweh's people to the Holy Land. then look for the physical manifestation later. The last slide for today, verses six through ten can only be about that time in between 30 AD and 1948 AD. So it must be a figurative picture of the Christian era. Keeping in the context of what he's doing, I understand why he sees it that way. And it works. He says, Isaiah 11, 6 through 10, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The robber will live in the same town as the saint. And the leopard shall lie down with the king. The warrior lives with the shopkeeper. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child Jesus shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed; their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. It's a Hebrew poetic parallelism. And the sucking child shall play on the hole as the uh, play on the hole of the asp. The innocent believer will witness to the murderer. And the weaned child Jesus shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. He shall despoil Satan's kingdom. Matthew twelve twenty nine. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy land. For the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Je- uh, Jesse, Jesus, which shall stand for an ensign of the pe- ensign of the people, of the um, to, ensign of the people, to which shall the Gentiles seek the Gentile church, and the rest shall be glorious. Interpretive principle. Is this context literal or figurative? If it's literal, you're looking for the wolf to dwell with a lamb. But you know what? That passage is also the wheat and the tares. The wheat, God's people. The tares, Satan's people. The wolf, Satan's people. The lamb, God's people concept. Concept ties those two passages. Isaiah 11, 6, 10 is not about after the world has been remade. It's a figurative language about the kingdom, the millennial reign, the kingdom of Yahweh here on earth. One of the problems that we have is we do not read our scriptures. And then when we do, we let people tell us what we're seeing and reading And we read their understanding into it rather than what the scriptures are actually trying to teach us. Read the scriptures for yourself with a sincere heart and a sincere prayer for help from the Holy Spirit to understand them properly. Don't try to force an understanding of each and every passage. The scripture teaches you precept upon precept. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you what you need to know for now. You go back and reread it again in a a year from now, I bet you you get more out of it. Read it in another year, I bet you you get more out of it. Same verse, same passages. It'll give you the deeper and deeper. as, As you seek him, he reveals himself. Don't expect to be a baby Christian and understand all the things that people who gnaw on bones understand. Spiritual maturity takes time. You have to learn to grasp the foundations first before you start building the rest of the building. And you have to do so in a way that obeys the rule book. One of the big ones is don't tear the body apart. Don't set stumbling blocks in people's paths. And most people who grab hold of prophecy, they treat it in such a way that does both tears, the body apart places, stumbling blocks in people's paths, sometimes in their own way. We're trying hard not to do that here. Now, if you insist on listening to us and turning it into that, I can't help that. It's not what we're trying to do. We've flat out told you this may be wrong. I tell you I accept it because it it harmonizes scripture for me. The way I look at the scriptures, all of this works within it. There are little pieces of it that I disagree with, and I've told you that. I've inserted my opinion here, and I've told you that Brother Schofield wasn't given everything. Neither am I. None of us are. And that's okay. Learn to be comfortable with what you've been given. You don't have to know everything. You're not Jesus. You shouldn't want to be either. When we come back next week, we're going to wrap this study up. But for now, it's where we're going to end today. Uh, we can't do the next next sections. We might as well just push all the way through and finish. And I know some of you wish I would. No, 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 no. There are others of you that need to go back and rewatch this. We're, we're well aware that we have different variable, you know, we've, we've got freshmen and seniors and grad students in this class. We have to shoot for the middle, hope that the freshmen can keep up and hope that the grad students got enough review. So that's why we're going to quit today. We love each and every one of you. We hope that you have a blessed day and that if we've done anything that enriches your life or helps you in any way, please share this show with your friends and loved ones and just explain us to them. It's about what we're teaching and about what we're learning together. And it's about the community of classmates we're trying to build. It's about community. It's about relationships. At least that's what we want it to be about. We'll see you tomorrow.